Hi, friends. Thank you so much for stopping by for this week's episode of Get Up Girl. I'm so thrilled to introduce you today to my friend, Shara Dye. Shara and I met in 2017 at a trauma training, of all things, and I complimented her glasses, and the rest was history. We've been stuck at the hip ever since. Those friendships that just come so effortlessly are absolutely precious. She and her husband, Tim, are two of the most genuine people on this planet. Together, they pastor a church in Bossier City, Louisiana, and they have a six-year-old daughter. Tim and Shara love on their people something fierce. In fact, when Shara and I recorded this episode, I was still pregnant. Since then, I've had my babe, but I had some complications post-birth and had a six-night hospital stay. I wasn't allowed any visitors because of COVID, yada, yada. So Shara drove to my hospital, which was all the way across town for her, at nine o'clock at night, sat in the parking lot for an hour outside the labor and delivery unit, and she just prayed. She sent me a text from the parking lot to let me know that she was there praying, and y'all, I don't know that I've ever wept so deeply, but that's the kind of friend that she is. She's loyal and fierce and a go-getter, and I pray that everyone has a Shara in their life. On top of, like, living this fast-paced life and living on the edge and doing these things that were illegal and, and everything else, I, I knew that God was calling me. I was working at the club and let's just say that whirlwind romance was about, the romance lasted about as long as the weekend, yet I was living with someone. He had, um, he had not decided not to, to hide his drug habit and I'd have to track him down and he'd be, you know, at someone's house on a, on a drug bender. I took a test and it was as positive as positive can get. And I was a mess. I had no job, I had no money. And he said, well, your baby is not measuring in 10 weeks and there's no heartbeat. I spent my day, or spent my the day um, on my face before the Lord, basically um, crying out for forgiveness, crying out just for help, um, grieving the loss of um, this baby that I had just begun to kind of accept. I know that looking back, that Friday, having that terrible tragic thing happen of finding out I was losing my child, to Saturday being on my face before the Lord, repenting, God was preparing me for this moment all along to get me through one of the hardest seasons of my life. And the truck had stopped in front of me and I slammed into the back of the truck going 65 miles an hour with no brakes. And my car went, the hood of my car went underneath the bed of the truck and was slingshotted back out, spun around, and was facing the opposite way on the freeway. I can, I can remember hearing Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on your understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, He's going to direct your paths. I'm like, I can trust Him. And I think like, wow, he, he is never going to test you without giving you everything you can do to pass the test. Hey y'all, my name is Shara Dye. I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a pastor, an Enneagram one. I love coffee, I love to worship God, and I love wearing all black. And this is my get up story. Well, hey girl, welcome to this week's episode of Get Up Girl, a podcast inspired by women of all cultures and backgrounds who have been toe to toe in the ring of discouragement, disappointment, defeat, and how they got back up to fight. Each episode, we'll be discussing, well, all the things. Marriage, business, parenting, racial divides, grief, loss, and everything in between. We believe that you will be encouraged by these women through their stories. So come on, girl. It's time to get up. Um, okay, well, I'm I'm super excited that you're on the podcast again. This is actually your second time on the podcast. I know, podcast. I got the special podcast before. Yes. So, so we've been kind of wanting to do this one before that. We ha- we, right, so yeah. So we're just um, So you were, uh, you were actually my first interview for the COVID series. Yes, thank you for that. So yeah. Hi, my highly anxious, scared friend. <laughs> <laughs> so go back and listen to that interview. It was good. Um, it was it, it was great. Um, I actually got a lot of great feedback about your interview. Oh, good. Um but this one is going to be specifically about your story, your get up story. Yes. Um, which I'm one really, of them. One of one, the first, probably the yeah. first big one. Yeah. Or one of the bigger ones. Yeah. So, um, I'm really excited to finally have you on to, to do this. Um, 
so why don't you just kind of take it away and just uh, okay. you can start with you know how you grew up and kind of give us the backstory how you came to um or your beliefs about god you know what were yeah. you taught kind of all those things well i'm f- for i guess timeline sake to kind of get some um, perspective here i'm 42 um and a half maybe 42 and a half um and i well what we're going to be talking about is i was in a a really tragic car accident when I was 20. Um, and we'll get to that in a second, but, um, yeah, growing up, you know, I was born to teenage parents Mm -hmm. and then, um, they got divorced when I was nine years old. Cause I mean, when you have a kid at 19 and you know, it was the seventies, that's what people did. They got married. Um, and they probably shouldn't have, you know, looking back, they might've made a different decision, but they did, they got married. That's what you were supposed to do. And, um, they got divorced when I was nine and it was pretty, tr- that was pretty traumatic. Um, cause they had a volatile marriage and then they had a volatile divorce mm-hmm. and my, I had a brother, he had been born a couple of years after me. And, um, so there was a big custody battle and all that. So that was, that was hard as a kid. There was a lot of trauma there. And we eventually, um, were able to live with our dad and our stepmom, you know, a couple of years after that, my dad had remarried and we went to live with him and my stepmom and they raised me in a Christian home. My, my stepmother had um, gone to a revival because, you know, good old 80s revivals uh-huh. and three-day <laughs> revival. And she got saved and became a believer. Oh, wow. And then she began to take my brother and I to church. Now, my dad had been in church. We had gone to church a few times before he had divorced my mom. And, um, you know, it was just like that kind of Easter, Christmas, vacation, Bible school, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And um, I grew up, and, you know, as I got older, that trauma I was telling you about um, began to manifest itself And I guess, what we call a rebellious teenager, mm-hmm. but really I was a hurting teenager that did not process my trauma. Yeah. And now that we have a lot more knowledge about trauma, we know that that's a lot of times what kids are doing. They're, yeah. they're acting out because they've been abandoned or... or verbally abused, neglected, whatever. And I'm not saying all those things happen, but I had abandonment. I had emotional and physical abandonment. Um, just, it was just hard and I didn't have any idea. I was just angry all the time and I felt like no one listened to me and, um, I began to act out. And so things that I would do would be, um, you know, sneaking out. And when I was 16, I ran away from home. And so, um, yeah, three days I was gone. I went to an apartment in Houston, and I won't go into details, but it was pretty scary. Just yeah. a lot of drugs and a lot of things that I had never been exposed to. That was just one one scene in a very troubled few years. Um, I was in rehab for seven days. Not a, I should say rehab. It was more of like a mental hospital mm-hmm. because my parents thought I had mental things, which I mean, I guess I did, but yeah. um, they didn't know what to do with me. And so they How old were you when they... Six, 17. Oh, so you were still high school? It was still high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was over um, It was over New Year's one year, because I remember thinking, wow, this is a great, happy New Year. Yeah. Um, it, it leads up to... because So I'm 17 years old, and I decide three months before I graduate high school, with honors and all the things. Wow. Um, my senior trip's paid for, everything's... I'm doing great in school, you know, because mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I was a smart girl. I just had this you know, streak going of, um, just poor decision-making. Yeah. And, um, I decided one day to leave. Well, I take that back. I didn't necessarily decide to leave. I didn't get my way. And my parents said, Ah. if you leave, you can't come back. And I went ahead and said, well, I'm leaving. And I left at 17 Mm. and I ended up getting expelled from school because I didn't live with my custodial parent. And at that time, the school was strict about, you had to live with your custodial parent or guardian. And I did it. And so they expelled me three months before I graduated high school. And so I ended up getting my GED. From that point forward, from 17 till the the thing we're going to talk about in a minute or so, I just, I kind of went from job to job. I waited tables. I, um, you know, just ma- mainly waited tables and like bartended and yeah. Um, where were you living? I was living all over the place. Just oh my couch gosh, to couch a couch. Type. You know, I mean, I had. I think there was a little span in there. I had my own place for a little while, but then of course, like, I think at one point I had three girls living in my one bedroom apartment. Yeah, who were all we all worked at this one club together. It was a little further closer to this. In fact, I was working at the club when this incident happened. But um, 
yeah, we, uh, we were all just living on the wild side. We were clubbing every day, every day we were going out to the bar, we were drinking, clubbing, mm-hmm. all of the things we could get in every place under age. We had fake IDs. And you were, this was in Houston, right? This was in Houston. Yes. And I mean, be honest with you. I mean, as I, I was a believer, I had, had, you know, become a believer when I was, um, 11 years old or somewhere 10 11 years old and gotten baptized and yeah. like I said I grew up in the church youth group and so you knew like I you knew the truth the Lord I love the truth oh yeah I love the word of God but when you begin to associate with you know a different kind of people um and you do you know I guess give into the temptation and begin to live a carnal life you yeah. know that kind of that stuff begins to look like a faded memory and so I I definitely um wasn't going to church that's for sure yeah although there was always a little bit of conviction or enough conviction for me to never go too far yeah now I was definitely I can look back on my life and go "Ooh, that night you came close to Mm -hmm. some real trouble or um but there was always this I would think of the Lord a lot and I would feel incredible shame and incredible guilt so on top of like living this fast-paced life and living on the edge and doing these things that were illegal and, and everything else, I I knew that God was calling me. Mm-hmm. And so I think at, this is 19, I'll get to, I'll fast forward to 1998. I was 20 years old. And the fall of 1998, I met a guy and I worked at the bar, this big club in, in Houston, and he came into the club. And he was a, um, I mean, he was good looking. He had a motorcycle. Oh, man. He had a little boy that was super cute. And I just thought, oh my gosh, you know, and I was going to just rescue him and we would rescue each other. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be that little boy's mommy and all the things are going to happen that are just wonderful and great. And let's just say that whirlwind romance was about, the romance lasted about as long as the weekend. Yet I was living with someone Mm. who I knew over course of weeks, um, um, towards like Christmas and whatever, um, he had, um, he had not decided not to to hide his drug habit. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I would work or whatever and I would come home and I would have to trace him or track him down because this was before texting and all those things. And I'd have to track him down and he'd be, you know, at someone's house on a, on a drug bender. Mm -hmm. But so I knew that was, it was getting to the point where I felt trapped and I was scared. And then one day I missed my period. Oh no. And I called my friend and I said, my period's late. And she said, oh my gosh, I'll get a test. Meet me at my house. And so oh, man. I met my best friend at her house. We both worked at the same club together and I took a test and it was as positive as positive can get. I mean, it was like two red lines. Oh, there was a sense of me that felt relief because I thought, oh, like I can slow my life down. Mm-hmm. And then of course I was petrified. Yeah. And so I called him and I said, um, you know, hey, you're going to be a dad. Oh, man. He literally dumped me, like, on the spot. I called my parents the next day and I said, I've got something to tell you. So I was talking to my mom. And my mom goes, you're pregnant, aren't you? And she goes, I guess you better come back home. Wow. And that was the end of 1998. And so around around Christmas, I, was, I think it was right before Christmas of 1998. So remember, I took this guy to Thanksgiving. And uh-huh. now it's Christmas and it's already over. Right. That's how whirlwind this was. And here I am, 20 years old, and I moved back home. And I was a mess. I had no job. Mm-hmm. I had no money. And so um, I ended up, the new year came, uh, 1999, and I, um, I enrolled in college, back in college. I had taken you know some classes here and there, like a local community college. And um, I got enrolled in a couple, I think it was two classes. And one day I, um, I went to go to a crisis pregnancy center because that was a, a great place to um, get some, some uh, help. And they had an ultrasound machine yeah. and they would give they free do, ultrasounds. Uh, don't they do like classes and they stuff They do too? classes. They show you videos. Like, yeah. I mean, their whole in, intention is to help, you know, troubled pregnant girls yeah. or people who don't have maybe access to healthcare or um, things like that to... Um, to take care of their child or do whatever they can to, to mm-hmm. help you make the, the best decision. Obviously, abortion not being an option. Yeah. Their whole premise is to 
to, for you to carry your baby, which that was never anything on my radar. I was, I was going to keep my baby, but, um, you know, I, I went to the center because I actually had volunteered at the center in high school. So it's kind of funny how here I am actually needing to use the center. Yeah. Yeah, That's full circle. I know. Right. (laughs) And so, and it's still to this day, a place that's near to my heart. Yeah. And so I had gone in, they were going to do a free ultrasound for me. And I'd had, um, I was very early, I think I was like 10 weeks. And so, you know, at 10 weeks gestation, you know, sometimes they can't detect a heartbeat. And I'd already gone in, I think, at seven or something like that. And they didn't detect a heartbeat, which was not uncommon. Yeah. They made it very clear. They did all the feels and, oh, everything feels great, you know, I'm sure. So I, this was 10 weeks. And they did the ultrasound, and the doctor said, what, how far along are you? And I said, well, 10 weeks. And he said, your baby is not measuring at 10 weeks, and there's no heartbeat. Mm. so at that very second I had my pants undone and you know they were the little jelly on your belly and I bolted out of the place and I ran out literally my mom's in there with me um, I just just had to get out like I had to get out and I don't even know if I button my pants I ran down the hallway I ran outside I got in my car and I sobbed like I had never sobbed before like to the point of almost vomiting it was mm. so I was so devastated because it was like I feel like I had just gotten to that realization of like this is your reality yeah and accepting and like, that you yeah. are going to be like a parent like I'm going to do this and alone and now it's gone yeah and um the doctor I think I eventually went back in or they came out I don't remember exactly but they said you can go to the emergency room and um they may be able to help you um, take your next steps mm. so my parents went with me this was a Friday night and they went with me to the emergency room and they took blood and they measured my hormone, the HCG hormone. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty evident that I was probably going to miscarry because the hormone should be at some level. And it was like way, it was like nothing. I basically had no hormone. Yeah. So my parents and I, we said, well, God is in control. And I remember we prayed in the emergency room and we walked out arm in arm. And I just remember feeling that incredible sense of it's going to be okay. I'm going to make it. And to have parents that are like, they hit, you have put them through the ringer. Yeah. The ringer for years for them to just still say, we got you. Yeah. We're going to support you and you're going to make it. It's like a big thing. So I was relieved that I was able to kind of escape that life, even though it was not the exact way I assumed I would be escaping. Yeah. So Saturday, so that was Friday night. Saturday, I spent my day, or spent my the day um, on my face before the Lord, basically um, crying out for forgiveness, crying out just for help, mm-hmm. um, grieving the loss of um, this baby yeah. that I had just begun to kind of accept. Um, a lady from mm-hmm. the Crisis Pregnancy Center called me, and she talked to me for four hours. And yeah, four hours and she counseled me and um, shared her testimony with me. Yeah. Very incredible. And just, she gave me just insight, helped me understand that my baby was in heaven. And, you know, I didn't really understand miscarriage. I was so young. Um, but it is, it is loss. It is, it is a tragic loss. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the age that I'm now, you know, seeing so many families, mothers, people walk through that. It's, it's so difficult. And, and at that time, you didn't really talk about it. Kind of like a little, I think there's a more freedom now that, to yeah. talk uh, talk about it, but it wasn't as much then. So you feel alone. Um, but, you know, again, I'm kind of that pick your pick yourself up by the bootstraps kind of girl. And so Saturday, I, um, I did that. And then Sunday, I'm sure I went to church. And Monday morning came around, and I was um, getting ready to go to class. And I have... From this point on, I have to say that my memory is a little sketchier mm-hmm. because, um, and I had to piece it together. So I'm going to tell you the pieces that I had to eventually put together later. Yeah. So I'm driving because um, I don't remember this that way it happened, the way I'm going to describe it. But for your listeners, I want to describe it this way. I was driving, um, going north, and um, it wasn't that far. It was like maybe 15 minutes to this this school. And as I was driving, I was cruising along, going the normal 65 miles an hour on the freeway. Mm -hmm. And I was in the fast lane and I decide, I see the fast lanes like stopping. So middle lanes going, maybe not stopping, but slowing down, I should say. And so the middle lanes moving and much 
like you would do. You get, you're going to swerve over to the middle lane and you're going to keep trucking, right? Yeah. Because you don't want to be slowing down because you got places to go. Right. <laughs> and so I get in the middle lane. Well, upon going in the middle lane, of course, I'm going to look over my shoulder. I'm looking in my mirror. I'm going to look over my shoulder. And there was a car in my blind spot. It's like I didn't see it in the mirror, but when I turned, I saw it. And yeah. it was right, you know, obviously I could not have exchanged lanes because I would have hit that car. So to avoid hitting that car, I went back into my lane and the truck had stopped in front of me and I slammed into the back of the truck going 65 miles an hour with no brakes. Mm. And my car went, the hood of my car went underneath the bed of the truck and was slingshotted back out, spun around and was facing the opposite way on the freeway. And this is like seconds. I have no memory of this actual accident happening. I remember the lane part after having flashbacks. Mm -hmm. I remember having a flashback of me hitting a red truck. Of course, the flashback in my dream was not the same kind of truck I found out later. But again, hit a truck. And then I remember after that, the next thing I remember is someone saying, don't open your eyes. There's blood on your face. Mm. And I remember I felt my eyes closed and I felt like I was floating. Like I felt like I was like weightless. Yeah. And my teeth were clenched and I could feel like what was sand in my mouth. It felt like I had sand, like I was clenching my teeth and something was crunching in my mouth, which was glass. I didn't know that at the oh time, my God. but the glass from my windshield had shattered. And so I, I didn't see anything, but I could hear this, this person on my left side and, and he was saying, don't open your eyes. And then another guy on my right side said, I'm holding your hand. Okay. Well, my hand my arm, I guess I'd put my right hand out to maybe brace for the impact or maybe almost, I don't know, but my arm was broken. And oh my gosh. I, I'll just tell you about my injuries. So I had a giant laceration on my forehead, which is why I couldn't open my eyes. I had uh, broken three ribs, um, my seven through nine ribs. My right arm was broken. My, the top of my radius looks like a mushroom cap that basically had broken off completely. And my, that's why my hand was at this angle. Oh my gosh. Um, my, I had a collapsed lung on my left lung, a torn liver. I had crushed my left femur bone and it had come out, my, come out the leg, but it was shattered oh. completely. They called it cornflakes. My right femur bone was broken in half. My right knee was broken, and my right ankle was broken. Oh, my God. So, and I had a jammed a big toe, which probably might have been the worst thing out of everything. <laughs> like a jammed toe, right? You hit your toe, you say, though. There's nothing you can beep. do about it. That's that. That's, uh, um, but uh, finding out, again, piecing it all later, that um, that's called blunt force trauma. Yeah. And when you add that kind of impact or force, in, 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 especially with femur bones, the amount of blood you lose is is the most right. critical. Yeah. And so your femur blood or your femur bones carry a lot of blood in your body. And so for you to break them both in a tragic way is, is pretty life-threatening. Yeah. And so not a lot of people survive that type of inter- injury. In fact, I found out later that the paramedics, some of the paramedics that were there, there's a lot of things going on. A lot of people, they had closed the freeway down um, and um, they were like, she's a goner. Like they didn't. So the crazy thing is, is so I'm, I'm, imagine this has happened. I'm on the freeway. I'm in the vehicle. They're having to use the jaws of life to cut my car open so they can get me out. Yeah. My car was so mangled that mm-hmm. they had to cut me out of the car. And uh, they were, life flight was on the way. So I told them my dad's, um, my dad's name, my dad's work number. So my dad gets a call. Says your daughter's been in an accident. That's amazing that you were... Like you didn't oh, lose had consciousness. An extension and everything. I don't remember, but no, I never lost consciousness. Yes, no, I was completely awake and alert the entire time. That's unreal. But your body goes into shock. Yeah. And so your body's preserving its energies. It's preserving itself. It's saying, "Ooh, alert, alert! Things are happening. We can't do all the functions at one time." So while I'm doing, and that's the credibleness of like how God created us is to how much we can endure. Yeah. Um, and what we can survive. So I get to the hospital. I remember them. Uh, I remember being wheeled on like I guess it was the rooftop where they landed, but I don't remember anything from the ride or the flight. Um, I got there and I remember them saying, "Do you know where you're at?" And I said, "Yes, I'm at Herman Hospital." And so um, at that point, I don't have much recollection. I can remember things like um, I remember going in. I don't know what the timeline is here, but I was um, I was told that they had to find a pul- they couldn't find a pulse in my leg. And they said, if we can't find a pulse in your leg, we're going to have to amputate your leg. I didn't have fear. 
I had peace. I felt peace. Wow. I know that looking back that Friday, having that terrible, tragic thing happen of finding out I was losing my child Mm -hmm. to Saturday, being on my face before the Lord, repenting, crying out to him, being uh, counseled by this wonderful godly woman. I could never remember her name. I I don't know who she is, but whoever she is, I'm so grateful for her. Mm -hmm. Probably going to church Sunday, kind of feeling the weight of like, you know, like, now I got to take the next step to going to this day. God was preparing me for yeah. this moment all along to get me through one of the hardest seasons of my life. Mm. And I think like, wow, he, he is never going to test you without giving you everything you can do to pass the test. Yeah. So I can remember um, uh, little bits and pieces of, you know, people talking and whatnot. And the very first thing I can, I, I was in shock trauma ICU. I had uh, poles coming out of my leg. Ugh. I had... Um, I wasn't intubated at the time, but I had probably oxygen and all that. They A few times I had to have a tube down my throat for breathing, post-pre-surgeries, things like that. But um, my dad was the first person I saw when I opened my eyes and I actually remember seeing a human. And he was standing over me and he was visibly distraught. I had been crying. And I looked at him and I said, everything's going to be okay, Dad. God is in control. I mean, like, what person comforts the other person yeah but I knew I knew and 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 the fact that that was the first thing that came out of your mouth exactly you know like the real thing like I'm sure I said things but I have no memory of saying anything right up until like you know I'm in urban hospital and whatever um so I was in critical condition and they were giving me blood they could not perform any surgery on me right away because they said she won't make it she won't survive it yeah um, the biggest thing was the blood loss. And so over a period of two days before I had my first major surgery to repair my leg, I had over 20 units of blood, which is Jeez. astronomical amount of blood. Yeah. Um, and so I can remember um, different things. You know, of course, you're, you're in extreme amount of pain and they're managing your pain with high doses of morphine and they're giving you all these other things to prevent infection. And so you're, you're in and out of consciousness. And yeah. uh, my mom was with me the entire time. This is my, by the way, I should say my stepmother who raised me, but from the divorce when my dad remarried, but mm-hmm. she's, she's my mom and she was sitting next to me as much as she could. And she would just rub my cheek and she would Aww. talk to me and she said, I would run out of things to say. And I would just sing to you. And she would sing to me and rub my cheek. And like, I mean, she was literally there. I was in the hospital for three weeks. She was there from day one to day, the last day. And, um, now, their first projections were, I just said three weeks, their first was, she's going to be here for three months. Mm. And she's not going to walk for nine months. Gosh. Um, her, my leg was, my left leg was, they called cornflakes. They actually ended up using it in a study because they did repair it and they were so proud of what they did. Wow. Um, I had the top, the amount, when I arrived, I ended up having the, I think it was the head of orthopedic trauma was one of my doctors. Um, I had the chief of something, chief of the hospital. He was another doctor. I had Dr. Red Duke, who's a world-famous physician, who was actually in the op- or in the emergency room when Kennedy was shot. He was actually huh. the first person to look at Kennedy and say, there's no way we can save that man, and went into the next room to save the other people that were coming in that had been shot. Yeah. Wow. Like, literally, he founded Herman Life Flight. He's, he used to do a show um, in Houston uh, called Dr. Red Duke. It was like a, a thing he did every day, like a blurb on the news and talk yeah. about different health things and whatnot. But he's, he's world-renowned. Like, he, he's, he's amazing. He was my overseeing physician. Like, he was who put Gosh. me back together. What like, are the odds? What are the odds? Like, this famous man and all these incredible doctors mm-hmm. were who worked on me that mm-hmm. day. Like, only God could align that sort of thing to happen. Yeah. To have the best of the best it's like, I care about you so much. I'm going to make sure the best of the best are taking care of you. Yeah. Um, and it was. It was an incredible hospital. I never had, I mean, not a day goes by that I don't think, like, or when I do think about this, uh, I think about just the incredible care I received there. Mm-hmm. And um, it's an incredible hospital. But, I mean, so I was in the shock trauma ICU, and I eventually did have surgery to repair my left leg. And, you know, the other injuries, I had to have uh, pins in my right arm. My right ankle had pins. I think I had more metal in me than the only cast I had was my right arm, was, but it had pins, and that was the only thing they yeah. had a hard cast on. Everything else had braces because they literally were. It's crazy to think that you can break all these bones and that your bones are essentially repaired. Now you can't bear weight on them, but they're fixed. And so yeah. I think a week and a half later, 
they had me in rehab doing like bending my legs and things like that. And it was horrible. The worst uh. pain you can possibly imagine. But I, I can remember just every day. It was hard, but I, I felt the presence of the Lord. Obviously, this was a huge trauma um, that my body had gone through. Um, and I had hit a vehicle. So I was dealing with, you wrecked, you hit someone. Usually when you hit someone from behind, it's your fault. So I had to deal with that police officers and things yeah. calling you have a court date now <laughs> you you oh. know these people does you, you ran into these people so one thing that struck me that i was just so curious about from the very beginning was like who stopped to to see if i needed help like who like yeah. who pulled over and was like let me check on this person you know i mean mm-hmm. it's rush hour ish time you know 9 30 10 in the morning on a monday and houston is like major 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 traffic yeah so my mom would talk to the, the, the first police officer on the scene was actually a member of my church. And so he would call and check on me because like, it impacted him, I guess. And knowing that we went to the same church, even though it was a huge church, we didn't know each other. But knowing that we went to the same church, he would call him. And I would always tell my mom, make sure you ask him who the first person there was. Like, who was at the accident? You know, like, did anyone like eight, you know, did they call, who called 911? You know, like, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, and the people I hit were okay. They had sore bodies, but they were not injured, thankfully. Oh, but, God. um, I know. And they even called to check on me too. Um, they were very kind people. And so I, I kept asking my mom and asking my mom and she would forget. And I'd be like, oh, you know, so I spent three weeks in the hospital. I get home. Of course, you know, I'm going to be rehabilitating for a really long time. And I'm sitting on the front part of our house in a couch. Like my parents would sit me up in places and I had these machines that would move my legs. Like you stick your legs in and they just kind of, they're called PCM machines and they move them up and down. You set them degrees so you can move, get your knees bending because you'd be surprised how fast you could lose mobility and range of motion. So I'm trying to get my range of motion back and, you know, strengthening my upper body to account for my lower body with a broken arm, you know, and so it's very hard to do normal things. I'm having to learn to use my left hand. Uh, I was right-handed and my right arm was yeah. broken. So having to learn how to just do tasks with my left arm. And so a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of, um, you know, things to navigate. And so we're sitting there and the police officer calls for whatever reason. And I said, mom, would you please ask him who the first person is? She goes, oh, you know, you know, moms. And he said, funny, you should ask. He said, there was a man standing at her window and he was calming her down. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, calming me down, what? And he said, Was that well, the guy holding your hand or the one that? No, no, oh. no, those were paramedics. They hadn't gotten there oh, yet. This oh. is prior to all of that. Okay. So he said there was a man, like a bystander. He said he said he was a paramedic and he stabilized her neck and was calming her down until the actual paramedics arrived. Cause, and, and I'm thinking, wow, how random mm-hmm. that you would have this paramedic, like just happened to be driving by at the perfect time. And I was reading a book about real life encounters with angels, about people who had stories of encountering real angels. And so as I'm literally had just put this book down in my lap and my mom sent me this story and I'm like, holy cow, this is an angel. Because guess what? Never got a name. I had, I told you about the peace that I had. And then, you know, all the things that I was telling you happened, like the yeah. don't open your eyes and all of that. I, could, I can remember hearing Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He's going to direct your paths. I'm like, I can trust him. So post that, um, you know, that happening, um, I'm, I'm, I'm in a wheelchair. And I'm, you know, learning how to get in and out of vehicles. You have to learn to do transfers, what they call it. Mm. So you have these boards they give you to help you slide yeah. on into a vehicle. And, like, you learn to mount yourself up and... And you use your upper body more. And, and so, and then you're going through the rehab and uh, physical strengthening and learning how to walk eventually. I think it was like three months I started standing and I could do a walker and bear like, I think I could bear weight on one leg. I think it was my right leg and I couldn't bear weight on my left leg. And then eventually it was like, you can do this with your left leg. And, and so I wish I had, I would say this, I wish I had known more about the mental trauma. Because that's something that even today I still deal with some of the mental trauma of like the fear mm-hmm. and the um, anxiety from just sometimes I get anxious in vehicles, you know, and, yeah. things. and then there's other things, you know, how EMDR and all of the brain works is that yeah. it can affect other areas of your life and you don't realize that, well, that, that reaction or that trigger is actually because of this incident. So I still go to counseling and I still talk about this, not the same way of like, I'm dealing with a. I don't think about the memories of the accident very often, mm-hmm. but I know that a lot of what 
I still kind of struggle with is tied to that day. Yeah. And and so I still work through those things, which is fine with me. I mean, that's just yeah. life, you know. And I'm thankful that I have the um, the means to be able to go and get counseling and EMDR and all that. So yeah. Um, I I have a question. Mm-hmm. When you so when you were airlifted to the hospital mm-hmm. and you were you know mm-hmm. going through all this, you had you said you had told them that you were pregnant, but you were miscarrying. <gasps> I'm glad you brought that up. So what, yeah, like, so, so what became of this that? Is, so I had, they, well, they asked me, I forgot to mention this. They actually asked me, do you want us to do everything that we can to save your life? Because if they do those life-saving measures, that baby is not going to make it. not going to make it. And I said, yes, I'm having a miscarriage. Yeah. Um, so yes. So, but I hadn't passed the baby, you know, because right. typically a miscarriage, you know, you can have a DNC or, um, I had actually made the decision already that weekend. I said, well, I'm going to see. That it just, God has given, he knows what our bodies do and, and it yeah. will eventually, your body will, will pass it itself. Yeah. So that's where I had been up until, you know, two days. I mean. Yeah, well, I right. I mean, it had only been two days. It had only been two so. days. So I, you know, had it gone longer, I would have probably gone to the OB and done all that. Yeah. You know, but I did get assigned an OB because I was technically pregnant, but they did an old fashioned DNC oh. and pulled out the, the fetal tissue and, um, mm. actually I had to look at it. And she said, we're going to take this to the lab and we're, cause you know, the baby at this, that many weeks gestation is very small. Yeah. You know, at that point you're kind of like, there's just so much going on. Well, like, that, I was about to ask, like, did that play a part in the mental trauma I or were, had you point, kind of already accepted it? I at, had, I had spent that weekend kind of accepting it. And now it was just like the next step. And I'm kind of that, that person that you just got to go with what happens. Like once, yeah. maybe initially I don't react very well. <laughs> initially I'm a hot mess express. But you come around too. But I get to a place where I'm like, okay, we're good. We're cool. We yeah. can, you know, yeah, it's going to be hard, but yeah, know, I know. And that's where my faith, my foundation of my faith, even though all those years of going through trauma and, and you know, the divorce of my parents and then the abandonment of my bio mom and then the, mm-hmm. um, all the things, which I didn't really go into details, but you know, that's kind of what happened there. And just dealing with that, that, um, stuff, um, you just, you just, I don't know, you, you find, you find yourself relying on the Lord, even though you may not as a child or a young adult or a teenager, young adult, you don't really think of that as foundation. You just doing what you do, but it did provide some, something structured to lean on in that really hard time. Well, yeah. And I'm, and I'm thinking like, as you've been talking about this, I mean, and like you said, I mean, the Lord was preparing you. He oh, knew for sure. He knew exactly what was coming. But for sure. even that Friday when you went to the crisis pregnancy center mm-hmm. and, you know, and they said there's there's no heartbeat. He's not measuring at 10 weeks, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, that just three days later mm-hmm. you would be in this accident. Can you imagine mm-hmm. if you found out that information on top of the accident? Oh, yeah. like, oh that would have been totally different. Hey, that you've been, been in this... Yeah, Life-altering oh, accident. Oh, so and right. by the way, you know, I've never really thought of that, like of, of it, that being the cause of the miscarriage versus it right. having happened, and then dealing with the grief and kind of going through that process yeah. before it happened. Yeah, you're actually it's, right. That would probably have been ten times worse. Um, the for me, I look at it as the spiritual side. That Saturday is the big day for me. Friday, yeah. yes, that's the, the 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 catalyst to what led me into Saturday, which right. got me geared up for Monday. Mm-hmm. So, at, so you've been through your, you know, months of physical yes. rehab and, yes. um, so what was the after, you know, aftermath, I guess, of this like for you, like once you were rehabilitated, cause you said, you know, now at 42, you still have, um, some fears and anxieties that, oh, yeah. you know, connect to that day. Oh, yeah. So what, what has that journey been like? Well, I mean, I, I would, I feel like I have to tell you the truth. So <laughs> get ready. We, lo- we love that. <laughs> Because you would think that trauma or that kind of thing would cause a person to just never turn and and do that again. But guess what happened? 20-year-old girl who who didn't, again, have the understanding of what she had really gone through. The old friends came calling. Ah. And so I, by summertime, I was back at the club working again. Yeah. Again, not knowing being so young and not really understanding anything and, and seeing that happen even now. I see that all the time with young adults. Like, yeah. you know, I learn their stories and I see the struggle and I'm like, well, you know, they're just, they're trying to find their way. 
you know, and God is there and God is with them. And God never left me no matter yeah. what. Um, the day I said yes to Jesus is, is the day I was signed and, and sealed by the Holy Ghost. And, and nothing was going to take that away. But we do have free will. Yeah. And we're able to go and make decisions and do things. And, and we can choose one way or we can choose another way. I will say this, though, that even though there came a time where I kind of went back to that old lifestyle for a period, I got to, I think that was 20, by 27, I had turned my life back over to the Lord again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was, it was, it was, it was, there was tension. There was, you know, back and forth it kind of a, thing over yeah. those years. But I never abandoned it. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted it. And I, and I just battled. I battled so many things from being a young person, having to go through that divorce and all of those things, and yeah. a teenager, and it was feeling just incredible guilt and shame, feeling like I didn't deserve good things. Like, yeah, I don't know why you saved me, God. I'm worthless. I'm nothing. So mm-hmm. I went through a lot of that. I really didn't even accept that I was worthy because he said that, and worthy because of Jesus, and righteous because of the blood of Jesus. That yeah. um, I didn't accept that until a lot later in life. And... Um, but I mean, does it discount that he was there? No, that doesn't. Nothing dismisses that or negates that or whatever. Um, so, but what was the other half of your question that you asked? Like, the journey now, where I'm at now, like, yeah, yeah. Well, I was just asking, like, uh, with with those fears and anxieties of. Yeah, I mean, I, I it was actually when I went to when I met you, the training you did. Oh, watching the video. And I reached out to a counselor. That was the first time I really went back to trauma counseling. Wow. I've been in counseling. I've been in counseling my whole life. Like, I'm a proponent of mental health. Uh-huh. Like, give me all the counseling <laughs> and all the things. I would like to go sit down. I'll rest on the table. Whatever you're going to do. Yeah. Hypnotize me. I don't care. <laughs> um, but no, actually, after that was when I reached out about my accident for the trauma. was after that training. So you kind of were tied to this. What? I, I guess I never really... I, I didn't know that. And yeah, I... I, I, I did because I the videos you, you guys showed were about trauma. And I was uh-huh. like literally crying alone. Here we are sitting there and I'm like, here I am for this reason. But this, God's using it for but this reason. And I'm God's like, sobbing. Nope. <laughs> and I'm like, that's what's wrong with me. It's a trauma I never dealt with. And I just, I mean, you know. But yeah. But that yeah was and that was three, three years, years ago. ago. I know. I know. I know. Look yeah. at God. I know. But see. But that's the thing. It's like, he won't ever give up on you. Yeah. It's not like he's like, oh, it's been 25 years. You should be over this. In fact, I never tell anyone they should be over anything in their life. Uh-huh. That's like the worst thing you can yeah. say to someone. Like, yeah. oh, you're not over it yet. It's like, I hope I'm never over it. I hope God is never done with me. I'm like, okay. And, and, and the Lord told me something at the very beginning of this. And I think it, it fares well to even the story I just told. Was that he's going to use my fear and anxiety to deliver me from fear and anxiety. Hmm. And I think sometimes he will take your trauma and take a past trauma to deliver you from something in the future, a future trauma. Yeah. Like he gives you the tools. He gives you everything. It's like I was hearing, I was sending a message the other day and it said, you know, when you get tested by your teacher, she gives you everything or he gives you everything you need to pass the test. They're not mm-hmm. here to watch you fail, but nobody's going to do that. And God's certainly not going to do that to his children. He's not going to be like, well, I'm trying, I'm going to test you. Um, and, and you know, you're not going to, you're not going to pass. Just I'm see sorry. if you sink or swim. Just see. Right. Yeah, I'm going to see how well you do. Yeah. Like, this is fun for me. It's like he's up there playing. It's not puppeteers, you know. It's, yeah. It's just, he's, you're his children. You're his child. And so he's given me the tools. He's given me the tools even then to serve me now mm-hmm. and will continue to serve me until I die. And so yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for that. So Well, and, you know, when you talk about be, like that fear of not being in control, like I have Oof. no control over this. I don't because like it. You know, and another you and I joke about us being <laughs> the Monica Gellers, the Enneagram yes, ones, you know. Yes, yes. Um, and that, that is a very real um, struggle for mm-hmm. Enneagram ones. Very and so, much so. But even before your accident, you were already wired. You said you were already kind of type A. Mm-hmm. So do you for feel sure. like that kind of spun you into an unhealthy? Oh, yeah. Like with uh, that control? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know... Even with when you talk trauma with, with uh, clinicians, um, the point is finding that root of it. Yeah. Like, um, I remember the first session I ever did with EMDR. In fact, came from, I started EMDR after the video I watched as someone. In fact, I, I look at often people in the church and I can see things on them and I'm like, and they tell me a little about their life and I'm like, trauma, 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 trauma. Yeah. You know, uh, husband walks out on wife, trauma, uh, child dies, trauma. 
um, you know, injury, you know, uh, trauma, you know, all these different things mm-hmm. are, are just a life filled with things that we don't even, we think we deal with it because at a certain point we, we tell everybody or tell ourselves that, well, I just need to have it all together now. And yeah. it's like, it's been enough time. Right, right. Move on. You know, it's been this. And that's not necessarily how it works. It doesn't mean you have to relive it all the time or talk about it every second you get with everyone you meet. But you've got to, you've got to deal with that. You've got yeah. to say, you've got to reconcile that. And the Lord gives you the tools. He uses his, his word. He uses people. He uses doctors, nurses, yeah. psychologists, counselors, whatever it takes for you to heal. And so for me, it was it was a all around healing. You know, mm-hmm. physical healing. You got to heal mentally. And, and again, mental stuff wasn't as prominent as it is nowadays. Yeah. So, and it doesn't leave. And so, if you have mental trauma, it kind of just carries with you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a it's like a wound. If you don't if you don't it doesn't heal, it's gonna just fester. And so, it's a festering yeah. wound. And and so, yeah, that was when I realized that I needed to deal with this accident, the mental side of it. Yeah. yeah Twenty years later, seventeen years later. And crazy. did you did you feel like you had a fear of death? Oh yeah, for sure. Or was it like. Fear of, I guess, and that also, too, kind of coupled with, and you know this about my, my sister-in-law and um, her yeah. son-in-law being killed tragically in a car accident, right? Um, which was two years ago two almost, years, yeah. about to be two years. And so that has also impacted me because, I mean, car accidents happen a lot, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, people are constantly, I mean, cars, it's very dangerous, you know, um, yeah. to drive. I mean, we do it all the time, but it is. There's, car accidents happen a lot, and so... Um, you know, having that happen was like even more like, oof, you know, the gravity of like how easy and quickly it can, it can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, death for sure. Mm-hmm. We always talk about physical healing, but we don't talk about the other kind of healings. Yeah. And I don't know why we don't, because we do need to. Yeah. Like we say, oh God, heal this person from cancer. We'll help them mentally. Even once they're healed from the mm-hmm. cancer, help them with the mental aspects of how how, how sick they were for so long or the battle they had to deal with or the financial ramifications or all of the things mm-hmm. that it, it's not just physical like they don't just oh i'm physically healed and moving on like it has has there's other things that go on and one of the things that my counselor told me recently he's like you know you never live a life without fear fear is what keeps you alive like fire, uh, flight fight or flight mm-hmm. so that fight or flight is part of like that fear like something comes at you tries to attack you you fight back or you fly, you run if it's a danger that's mm-hmm. a fear that god put inside of you to keep you alive he said fear is like a fireplace you know if the fire gets out of the fireplace it's going to burn your home down yeah so, but you keep it contained and you you know in a place where it's safe and it's still there it doesn't mean it never leaves but you don't have it raging through your life, taking over every aspect of your life, burning things down. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a good analogy. I don't know if I described it very well just now, but a good analogy of like, don't let fear and anxiety become what just consumes you. Yeah. Um, and you know, and it can so easily. It can, and it can, and it's funny because it can kind of die down just like a fire. It can kind of be there. Uh huh. And you know, it's you don't think, oh, it's everything's going great, everything's fine until something happens, and then it ignites it again and you're right back in the same shoes you were in before and so it's yeah. a perpetual cycle and I think what I see in people and even in my own life is the cycle I'm tired of the cycles you know I don't want to live like that mm-hmm. and I don't want to pass it on to my daughter or like, and I, for me I, that's one of the most beautiful things about God mm. is that it he's not complicated no and when we ask Can especially children yeah like Ugh. especially to reveal himself like just show me just um, he does it. Mm. And I, I think it's just, I don't know. It's my, it's probably my favorite thing about him. That is what has gotten me through this, at least this season recently. It's just saying, and, and as a pastor, you're like, you feel this enormous pressure, right? Like you've got to be super holy. Well, and a lot of people are looking to you they like, are. Hey, what are we doing? They are. But I've also found there is huge, um, freedom and just being a real, a real leader. And so what do you feel that, you know, your wreck from 1999, um, because you said even just a few months later, you kind of fell back into mm-hmm. your old life and it was mm-hmm. a few years before you fully mm-hmm. came back and surrendered your life mm-hmm. to God. So, mm-hmm. um, what, what is, what has that incident done for your faith? Even, even 22 years later, I mean, oh what? man, that incident, um, well, it tells me that God made our bodies very strong. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, uh, trust that, you know, if you take care of yourself, because I was 
healthy. They said the real, the, the, one of the big reasons that I healed so quickly was because I was young and I was healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trust that God gave you the physical capabilities to overcome. Allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Because when you're injured that much, you have no, you can't do anything for yourself. Yeah. And so it's surrender. I have to surrender to what they're doing, what they can. I mean, you have to be fed. Like there was one time I had so many tubes that I couldn't even move my left arm because they had to put all the, the tubes and things and, and IVs in that arm so that I could get the stuff that they were putting in my body. Yeah. So I'm like literally handless, feetless, handless. Like uh, I can't. Yeah. And both legs. Yeah. So I'm my, can you help me brush my teeth? So oh. you're talking about fully surrendered to that. So if you look at it from a spiritual standpoint of, I am going to surrender my life. And that means I'm not going to try to do anything for myself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let God do it for me. Now, yes, we get up, we walk, we do things, but he is the one in control of my life. And so I think actually right now, I'm kind of having this revelation of like, even in this season of like, I can't control it, but he has control just like he had control then. And he got you through it. He has control now. Release your want of control you just get reminded of like the preciousness of life Mm -hmm. and so you know it can be frustrating when people don't take life seriously or other people's I'm like hold on a second Mm -hmm. it's fragile it's strong and it's fragile it's like a a paradox or oxymoron kind of thing where it's on one side we're extremely resilient people he created us so strong and on the other Mm -hmm. side it's like you are fragile but yeah and you know we should care for one another and love one another and and take care of ourselves and take seriously what he's given us, this body to steward, you know? Yeah. And um, I want to do it well. And I want to I want to glorify him in the, in, in the meantime while I do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so anything I do, I do for the glory of the Lord. Yeah. You know? And, well, and that's very evident in, in your life now. I mean, did you ever think you'd be a pastor's wife? No. Slash pastor? No. <laughs> no. In fact, everything I just said probably would disqualify. If you had to have qualifications, I meet none of them. <laughs> I think I love, love, love when I'm able to encourage people in their faith. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's stuff I would tell them to help encourage them. And what a gift, you know. It is a gift. If you use it as a gift. Yeah. And, and, you know, and just serving alongside you in ministry and, um, and watching you, even, you know, the couple of times I have visited your church and uh, watching you and Tim. Yes, I know. The first person (laughs) called me Pastor Shara was you. (laughs) From the mic. From the mic in front of everyone. I think I ruffled some feathers. That's okay. Yes. Well, here we are today. Only because you ruffled it. Sometimes you got to break down the walls, right? You broke them all down. Um, But, you know, just watching you lead um, alongside your husband with your church and then um, watching you teach Bible studies and serving alongside you in ministry yeah. and watching you lead worship, you know, yeah. you're also a worship leader. And, um, it's just been really cool for the last three years for me, uh, just as your friend, kind of from the sidelines, watching you go, well, well, and you just dropped a bomb on me. I didn't even know like about the, when we were in the training with the videos that led you to <gasps> no, go to counseling. No, and I totally can't believe um, I hadn't told you that already. It was meant for today. Yeah. Cause I feel like that was something I would have told you like randomly, like, Hey, I mean, by the way, remember that day? But you know, when you gave your, this testimony about your accident on video mm-hmm. and they showed it mm-hmm. and I came to that, um, because I remember Just you short. Yeah. But I remember you talking about how nervous you were about that and mm-hmm. you were, you know, just talking about it and, um, and watching that video and I was like sitting in the pew and like cheering you on, you know? Um, but yeah. it's been, it has been really cool, um, to over the last three years, just to watch you go through different seasons and watch you grow in different ways. Gosh, um, I'm not the same person I was three years ago. And I know, and <laughs> I just so hate that you can't find your glasses, but, um, I know I still wear them though. <laughs> these pink ones. Okay. Those are cute too. I'm going to get some new ones. So something more fabulous. Um, but anyway, all that to say, it just, um, I can definitely attest to just in the three years I've known you and watching you, how you've Thanks. just grown in those three years. Thanks. Um, so it's I'll been really cool. Yeah, and just to serve alongside you in ministry has been awesome too. It's fun. Well, um, thank I, what a, what a testimony. That's just incredible. A lot of stuff I didn't even know. Yeah, I just I learned know. even fun. more about you. So. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, now I have my fun questions, my my lighthearted oh, questions for okay. you. So okay. Now that we've talked about thank the heavy you. stuff, I know. <laughs> Let's finish on a lighter note. Yeah. Let's not about any more blood or guts <laughs> or bad pants. Um, okay. First question: What are three things you do every day in your life? Um, I drink coffee every single day Mm. for sure. Yes. And, um, multiple, um, ways I have it too. Sometimes ice, sometimes hot, you know, in an IV, 
in an IV. <laughs> like Laura, like Gilmore. Um, I like to, I've been on a kick lately. I like to listen to like a sermon every day. So like, and I've tried to keep oh, them yeah. like 30 minutes and under. So I find something on YouTube, like by someone I, I like love to listen to. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of been on Tony Evans, John Piper. Um, I go all over the spectrum of like, you know, progressive to, you know, reformed to yeah. charismatic. Um, and then I update all of my list. I have many lists. Yes. Planners and list. And my things have to be, because things change every day. And yeah. They have to be updated. Because yeah. we can't have old Cross things. those things off that list. We cross it off or we white it out. What a good feeling. Yes. White out is on me. And I kiss my kid a hundred million times a day. Aww. Like I love her. And yeah. I kiss her. In fact, there's times when I'll be working and I'll be on my computer and I'll be like, Riley, come in here. And she'll be like, what do you need? And I'm like, I need a kiss. <laughs> so I kiss my kid and my and husband, she, but yeah, well, yes. he, he would Him probably too. get a little like, why are you kissing me? <laughs> Kids, you can get away with kissing all day. They love it. And she's about to be six. six. Mm-hmm. She's Crazy. giant. She's so sassy. She wants to be a pop star like Taylor Swift. Well, who doesn't? I mean, me too. Yeah. So yeah, I she was dancing the other day to something, and I was like, "Is this appropriate?" <laughs> <laughs> like you don't, I don't listen to Taylor Swift, so when I'm yeah. when she's on, I'm like, "Uh oh, is this okay?" Is this? Well. <laughs> she's only six, so um, she's real into like girl stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah. True. So okay. what else you got? Uh, what are um, what's my next question? Oh, books, books. What are are you reading anything right now? Or <laughs> funny, I have um, an addiction to buying books, uh-huh. um, and lately I bought about. 20 books, but I'm only, I'll name a couple that I'm actually, I'm kind of reading multiple books, but I'm reading Beyond Awkward Side Hugs by Bronwyn Lee. Oh. And uh, it's about basically like, um, bas- you know, side hugging in church and like, oh, yeah. oh, we need to move past that. And it's okay to, <laughs> it's have, okay to embrace have men and women in ministry together and doing things. Yeah. So she ta- basically is touching on a topic that we've needed to talk about for a really long time. So I'm interested to read it. Okay. And uh, she's also not American, and I find that when you read things from non-Americans, there's mm. a lot of different perspective. Yeah. And I enjoy that. I like mm-hmm. being expanded, and I also like being kind of being that old mindset of Sobo, Southern Baptist yeah. mentality. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That makes me feel better that I'm not alone feeling yeah. that this is weird. And then I'm reading a book called America's Expiration Date by uh, Cal Thomas, and it's about the rise and fall of great empires and how America, oh. if we don't turn around, we could be a fallen empire. It's a real thrilling read. Right. <laughs> um, it's written by a journalist, a Christian journalist. And then a book called Inner Wild by Carlos Whitaker. And uh, Carlos is someone who is, he's actually, he's part of the Belonging uh, co- Company Church, yeah. co-church. And uh, he writes books. And this book I'm really uh, excited about because he talks about um, how he overcame anxiety. Oh. And how he entered a, um, a type of life where he's not controlled by I guess, paralyzing anxiety. Uh-huh. He's in, it's hard to describe, but the reason it's called Inner Wild because it doesn't, it's hard to describe the title unless you read the book because mm-hmm. he talks about entering God's rest, you know, and things like that. And so he's about entering the wild God, life God has for you with freedom oh, from. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm pretty excited because the first couple of chapters I've read basically are me, oh. except he's a guy and I'm a girl. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah. I love to read. I absolutely love to read. And I have a Kindle app and I have books and I just yeah, that's try good. to read little pieces of part of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. And you're reading all three of those simultaneously? Like um, you just I'm actually reading more than these three. You asked when you said have three. There's oh, more. Shoot. We don't have time. That's another podcast. Okay. We'll talk okay. about reading another yeah. day. We'll just do a book podcast. Yeah, hey, we'll just that's, that's a great idea. That's a good idea. Um and then my last question, what's something about you that may surprise people? That my husband and I met online. Yeah, you did. Christianmingle.com, baby. Heck yeah. Men on the mingle. Sponsor us. I know, right? <laughs> we want to be on the commercial. Although I don't know if we'd fit their little cutesy norm, but yeah, like here's but a tattooed girl. When y'all met, you you weren't you were still in Houston. I was like so we had both a 300 mile parameter of meeting people. I sent him the first little emoticon thing, emo- emoji heart. Oh. Or, no, it was a smile. It wasn't a heart. Uh-huh. He thinks I like. He, likes, he tells the story differently, but sure. Yeah. And so I sent him a little thing and he emailed me and then we emailed back and forth for like a few weeks and then we talked for a couple weeks and then he came and met me and then we were married eight months later. Eight months later. Literally. We were, we were 35. We were. Well, yeah. Y'all knew, y'all knew what you it's, wanted. We don't need to. Yeah. And then here. you up and moved here. I did. Because he's pastoring the church that yes. y'all now yes. pastor together. So. Yes. <laughs> well, um, thank you, Sarah, for just taking time and um, You're welcome. sharing your story and just being raw and real and, um, you know, bringing God glory. 
Yes. Thank you so much. It's encouraging. Good. I'm so glad. I hope someone's encouraged. And if, you know, people want to reach out to me. Yeah. Well, we'll link how to... Slide in my DMs. Right. Know what they say? The kids are saying. Yeah, I think that's the what they say. 20-year-olds? Yeah, yeah. I'd have been that girl. Uh, we'll put in the show notes um, how to connect with you on social cool. media, too. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't want to do that, but... Well, thank you for coming. Thank Just you. hanging out. Awesome. Yay. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. What a testimony. I pray you found hope and healing through Shara's story today. Please find her on social media and y'all be her friend. You won't regret it. And don't forget to share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, anyone that you think could use some encouragement. And while you're at it, please also drop us a rating and review so others can find us easier. And hey, from all of us here at Get Up Girl, Merry Christmas to you and yours.